Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here's a man who would never confuse Tony Orlando with Don, my hip friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Oh, man, you, you got me out in le- left field with Tony Orlando and Don here. Um, I'm, I'm doing great. Been very active lately, so energetic. Yeah, I... Uh... I realize sometimes our small difference in age, sometimes I can catch you in one of my 70s references, but uh, we'll, we'll talk later about the complicated Tony Orlando and Don, which is mentioned, of course, oh, in this you. issue. Someone who might get that reference better is a new coworker of mine. Eddie, this gentleman uh, started to work with me and two of his previous jobs were working in a comic book shop and he was a tarot card reader. And since there is a ghost in this comic book, I thought, we should bring him in to help. Wow, what a perfect guest, James B. Uh, welcome, Gordon. We are deep fried excited to have you join us. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, thank you very much for having me. I've listened, I've enjoyed, so I'm, I'm delighted to be a part of this. I am, yes, a teacher. I am also a game designer, a freelance philosopher, a mystic, of course, a, a friend to many, enemy to few, all around decent guy, lifelong nerd, lover of video games and science fiction and superheroes so this is right within my wheelhouse wonderful well let's use some of that free thinking philosophy to uh dig into a couple of amazing spider-mans uh james b you want to tell us what we're doing first from june of 1976 the amazing spider-man 157 in the ghost that haunted octopus written by len ween illustrated by ross andrew delineated by mike esposito with marv wolfman as the pedestrian Warv Wolfman, he, he's the man whose name is cooler than he could ever be. <laughs> All right, well, we opened this book with Spidey diving for parts for his Spider-Mobile in the Hudson River, but he can't find the vehicle. When he surfaces like a trebuchet, he pulls two police officers into the water and propels himself out. Listeners, real quick, I want to jump in here. There is clearly an A, a B, and a C plot line. The Spider-Mobile right now is a C plot line. Uh, thank goodness it's not the A plot line. Uh, Spider-Mobile, Gordon, quick question for you. Uh, there's a Batmobile, there's a Spider-Mobile. You had that comic book shop experience. Um, what's the best comic car? I don't want a motorcycle or a plane. I want a car. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to say the Fantastic Force Fantastic Car. Oh, okay. Because it's a car, but it also flies. Wow. Well played. Well played. <laughs> but, Eddie, no more Spider-Mobile talk. We could talk about other vehicles, though. Yeah, uh, Flash drives over and picks up Harry uh, with when Liz unexpectedly joins them. Uh, sometime later, she and Harry depart with Liz looking forward to becoming good friends with Harry. Uh, James B., does this scene warrant our old feature, The Complicated Lives of Peter Parker? Hey, how about buying a girl a cup of coffee or something? <laughs> well, er, I, er... I think I like that, Liz. You know, I like these things a lot when people are paired up just so much. And speaking of paired up, what's going on with my uh, young friend Aunt May? Uh, well, funny you should ask. Aunt May is helping Doc Ock clean himself up when Peter arrives. Uh, let it be noted that Doc Ock is sitting on the couch and drinking tea with his mechanical arms in this illustration. Uh, you know, Doc Ock drinking tea is one of my favorite tropes in Spider-Man. Um, so thank you, Ross Andrew, for delicately depicting the Doctor so well. 
I was smiling ear to ear when I read this. I was so happy for you. I was like, oh my goodness. It's a wonderful scene. Not only he's got a teacup in one hand, he has the cookies in another mechanical arm, he has the saucer in the other hand, and then one individual cookie he's eating from his mechanical arm. I mean... (laughs) Now, Eddie, I know you say it time and time again how excited you would be to be drinking tea with Doc Ock. Gordon, would you want to really drink tea with Doc Ock? I tell you, I, I would like to meet him and uh, sit with this super villainous dandy. I would not drink tea, rather. I would drink coffee. But I, I, I would want to have words with him like, Doc Ock, why do you shower with your glasses on? <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. And he might think it's weird that I know how he showers. But uh, I found that fascinating in the early issue. He's showering with his glasses on. I'm bespectacled. And I can tell you this. I take them off every time I go in the shower. Could you, what real quick, if you do have this opportunity, which you may or may not, could you also find out where he got that razor? Because if he shows up at someone's house and he's shaving with a straight razor, I can only think of two ways he could got it. Unless Peter's left one there. I don't think that's a face razor he's using on his face either. You know, he's like, he's like so. boy, this Aunt May has got a lot of stubble left in this, but that's all right. I've got to shine up my face for a smooch from her. Eddie, I guess we should get back to the summary here. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that's not the only thing that's being uh, eaten and drank here. Uh, Doc Ock, while eating fried chicken, insists to Peter he means no harm and regales him with the tale of how he escaped the nuclear blast. As he finishes, he panics because a ghostly hammerhead bursts through the door. Uh, He panics again, grabs Aunt May, and flees through a brick wall. Uh, Spidey eventually catches up to him, but is unable to capture him. Uh, Doc Ock steals a helicopter and flies away with Aunt May. Uh, As it flies, Spidey webs onto the whirly bird, but the good doctor notices and snips his webbing, sending him falling in the last panel. Gordon, this book ends as Spider-Man is like he's too far away from New York and there's no buildings to save him. Do you think Spider-Man could exist in like, you know, suburbia? Then? Um, he might have taken a different uh, insect as his totem other than a spider if he was in the suburbia because he really needs the character of New York in order to survive. Like the, the character of New York City and the greater metropolitan area is, is such a prominent character in the comics where he has ultimate faith that if he shoots a web, he's going to hit a building that's high enough to keep him from hitting the ground and swing him somewhere. But also the dedication of the writers and the editors to stay as true and real to the metropolitan area and all of the different uh, locations and how adjacent they are to other or how long it takes to get from one another. It's pretty accurate and it's huge. It's a character and it's real. So I think he needs to stay in New York City. Eddie, we're talking about if Spider-Man could exist somewhere else and he'd be a different kind of Spider-Man. What do you think about this Doc Ock? It's a different kind of Doc Ock we're seeing, isn't it? <laughs> he is a remarkably soft-hearted Doc Ock. I mean, he really goes at length here to identify how kind Aunt May is. I mean, she he says, I left her at the altar and she just takes me back and she lets him clean himself up uh, at her place. It's He's a very sentimental in his... I guess, old age here. I think we did a pretty good job talking about this first book, but I do think I need to interrupt us (laughs) and mention, we really haven't talked too much about the actual plot. We're talking about uh, 
Doc Ock eating chicken and using a razor and showering his glasses on. So let me just, I feel obligated. Listeners, I'm sorry. Basically, look, Hammerhead and Doc Ock were battling in a nuclear power plant a couple issues ago. Doc Ock escaped, Hammerhead died, but when he blew up, his ghost came back and it's been haunting Doc Ock in the last couple of issues. Um, and the book ends with no sign of Hammerhead. Spider-Man's falling to his death. Okay, that's what's been going on. So, um, Eddie, do you have anything to say about this actual plot of yeah, the story? So many things are so very plausible in there. Uh, you you may not have been surprised why I glazed over it. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, them exploding in a nuclear explosion and then knowing... We knew they were going to come back, but, like, anything would have been a stretch for me. So I, I had little interest in <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing I need to talk about is our sponsor, gentlemen. Eddie, we have a new sponsor today. All right. Um, I like new sponsors. Well, Eddie, you know when it comes to chicken, around here at least, there's KFC, Popeyes, and of course, Colonel Chicken. Um, But now comes the best chicken company of all. That's right. It's DOC Doc Ock Chicken. Eddie, it is the tastiest chicken. Uh, It only comes in two packs, though. There's uh, a pack of Eight pieces, which is six wings and two legs. That is $18.88. And there's the 20-piece meal, which comes with cookies, tea, and biscuits. And it's $48.88. Doc Ock Chicken Eddie, master plan for your family today. Master plan. Uh, that's, that sounds a little pricey for the quantity of chicken I'm getting. Although I'm delighted to get at least one cookie. Um, is, th- is this like a chain or, or just a one-off? It's a chain. It's it's going to be everywhere pretty soon. Wow. I know they're starting in New York and they're branching out, so maybe they haven't quite reached your Can area yet. Can we check to see if there's any kind of underworld connection? I, I find Doc Ock consistently interested in the underworld. I don't know. I thought you said he was getting more sentimental and softer that's, in his old age. That's true. He's, he could have uh, Gordon, leaf. We're, we're closer to New York than Eddie is. Sure. Uh, how do you feel about... Uh, uh, six wings and two legs for 1880. Well, I can tell you this: as a, as a vegetarian since 1996, I feel eminently qualified to respond to this. And I can tell you this, Eddie: if there's one thing I've learned in my many years as a fan of poultry, it's that uh, it's tacticians and totalitarians that are favorites of chicken. Like we have General So in the East, we have Colonel Sanders here <laughs> mm. in the West. To have Doc Ock start his own chicken company, it seems perfectly within character. In fact, I think we need another, you know, villainous ruler to probably take up the reins of some sort of pseudo-military group assembling chicken. Secret, a potential secret recipe. You know, I've never seen Doc Ock cook anything. I'm a little... Perhaps that is why he dragged Aunt May away this time. Perhaps she has the recipe. In that kitchen mm, with knows. all those arms going. I mean, this guy's going to be a dynamo. Maybe we'll find that out in the next book, which is from July of 1976, The Amazing Spider-Man number 158 in Hammerhead is Out by Ween, Andrew, and Esposito. Yeah, maybe. Well, um, Spider-Man is uh, falling after having his web snapped under Doc Ock's helicopter, but he makes a hand glider and saves himself. Uh, Gordon, if you have listened to our show, you know that I do love a good web creation. Uh, how do you feel about the web hang glider? Uh, I feel like uh, Spider-Man's getting 
a little outside of his uh, Ballywick there. That's like a Green Lantern kind of a thing. This this web glider, he does a lot with the webs, and they seem to be very uh, narratively restrained, like he runs out of them just in time while he's chasing them. And then he manages to slip it back in just in time to bring the right tension. And then as he's falling to his death, he's like, maybe I'll try a hang glider. And I love it when I was younger. I was like, this is fantastic. And now I'm like, can't we leave that to Quasar or, or someone else with gadgets? <laughs> yeah, see, falling has been a big problem for him uh, repeatedly. So just, I guess, whenever they want him to have something. Um, if he had made a it. trampoline to land on, that that would have been dynamic. That, yes, agreed. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, after he returns to Earth, um, Peter returns to his apartment. Uh, after he gets back to his apartment, Gloria Grant visits with some cake, and MJ stops by to chat. Uh, Peter gets a call from Joe Robbie and runs off to catch a fast-breaking news story. Um, at the Bugle, J. Jonah is once again having trouble with his staff, meeting his expectations. I think he expresses this with uh, this line so very well. James B., would you be so obliged? Hit you! I kill you! How much is Clayton paying you to destroy me? Do you hear me? Oh! <laughs> oh, so gentle. Such a gentle man. Uh, in his old age, just like Doc Ock. Well, back on the helicopter carrying Doc Ock and Aunt May, Hammerhead's a thermal nuclear ghost appears. It dawns upon Doc Ock that he may be able to defeat his ghostly adversary at Brookhaven Laboratories. The chopper turns towards the nuclear facility, and upon arrival, Doc Ock begins constructing something that will be obvious to us all. Uh, it's not obvious to Spidey why Doc Ock is going to the facility, but when he gets there, a slugfest ensues uh, until uh. Hammerhead's ghost shows up. Yeah, I guess for me, the most questionable part of Len Wein's writing is when Spider-Man also starts taking apart Doc Ock's machines. Spider-Man says to himself and kind of to the audience, whatever experiment is about to happen could hurt me too. So I think everyone reading this book would have been like, Doc Ock is trying to stop the ghost of Hammerhead. Like, let's do it. Um, but Spider-Man is opposed to this for quite a while. But eventually, eventually he does come around. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Spidey does come around when the ghost threatens Aunt May. And an unlikely alliance forms between Spider-Man and Doc Ock to trap old Flathead in a particle accelerator. With surprising ease, Hammerhead steps into the device, and Spidey realizes it will backfire, but too late. The machine transforms Hammerhead back into the, his living, breathing self, and he declares, nothing on Earth is going to beat me again. <laughs> I, I love Doc Ock's face on the very last panel. Do you guys see this one? Oh, it's great. It, the, the zoinks, woe is me. <laughs> It's so, he's like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> it is very, it's yeah, very, uh, like sitcom. Like, I'm just so shocked and worried. Oh no, hands to my side of my face. Uh, Ross Andrew <laughs> uses that same shocked, worried face a lot with the new hired secretary. There's that blonde girl with the glasses, and she's only in like eight panels, and in six of them, she's in a state of complete panic and shock as she's just being yelled at the whole time so there's a lot of shocked faces in oh yeah well J. Jonah Jameson is terrifying because he himself seems like he's about to start a chicken franchise he's such a, a tactician and totalitarian she's terrified of him 
Yeah, not softening in his old age. Well, no. Eddie, Eddie, what did you think of the second story? I glazed over so much of the plot uh, because it is a very Hammerhead's like ghostly thermonuclear self wandering about haunting Doc Ock is, I you know who know I don't even know what's really going on there. But the part where Hammerhead figures out that the device Doc Ock is constructing is going to turn him back into a human, Hammerhead knows the particle accelerator better than doc ock i mean this this is a 30s gangster it's it's just too far-fetched for me yeah well he has been operated on before by a doctor who made him into hammerhead so maybe he recognizes that anytime he gets he gets transformed by a doctor he just gets more powerful he's just very lucky you know he finds the right doctor to do the right thing to him at whatever time he needs. <laughs> well, I thought these two books were really good. Gordon, do you have anything to add? I just enjoyed the pace. I felt like it, it moved. There was like a little bit of social life. There's a little bit of drama with the family. There's a little bit of criminality. There's a little bit of uh, the internal Spider-Man. I thought it moved and mixed things up together nicely. Well, Eddie, I can tell that you don't like it as much as I do. So what? Uh, no. What? So it's Okay. Gordon gave a lot of reasons why I enjoyed it. So why did you not care for this that much? Uh, it's like I said before, it's just too far fetched. The whole surviving the nuclear explosion, how Doc Ock survives and then Hammerhead kind of survives. I mean, he does. Uh, followed by this paranoia that Doc Ock has. Uh, that this... It's, it's, you know, it was always going to be a problem. We knew, we knew they were going to come back, but I, I don't like how that kind of turned out, I guess. It bugs me too much. Which bothers you more? Hammerhead turns into a ghost during the nuclear explosion. Hammerhead's ghost turns back into Hammerhead during the particle accelerator. It's a really tough one, but... It's the particle accelerator. Hammerhead should have no knowledge of a particle accelerator, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. That's That part there is a tougher one to swallow, because you can say the Sandman was created at a nuclear facility, and Hulk was created with gamma rays, and yeah, maybe right. something happened that created this ghost situation for Hammerhead. But for him to come back with literally a device that Spider-Man and Spider-Man had just taken the whole thing apart, and then Doc Ock's like, oh, you messed it up. He's like, oh, I'll put it all back together. And, you know, it does explain why Hammerhead took so long to, like, walk to Aunt May. I'm like, how is this guy not catching yeah. Aunt May? And what can he do when he catches her anyway? Can he touch her? I don't understand that. Well, he yeah. wouldn't have to worry about the security at Brookhaven Labs, because apparently there is none. <laughs> While Spider-Man <laughs> and Octopus are setting up the lab for their own, uh, you know, devices, whatever they're trying to do. You know, I think I have something here about Brookhaven Lab security guards. That might be something we might be talking about in a future issue, Gordon. So I'm not sure if you want to add that to your uh, your jobs you've had, but perhaps there may be an opportunity for you. One day I may do that so I could hide in a closet, too, and not appear in the main store. <laughs> you know, not everything makes the uh, makes the edit. Uh, you know, it doesn't sometimes need to. things don't sometimes people get cut out of the of the situation there could it could have been there so all right well if no one else has anything to say um there was something gordon at the beginning we talked about the fact that you had been a, a tarot card reader and that you worked in a comic book store 
Um, but the whole tarot card thing and mythology and ghosts, you know, you do have, you did have something we talked about recently regarding Spider-Man. Do you want to share that with our listeners? It's something that I thought was a wholly original thought. And, uh, I'm a big fan of mythology and interpreting things as myth. And there is a, a God from African folklore and mythology. Uh, his name is Anansi the spider, and he is the God of knowledge and he's a trickster God. And I feel like there's probably something about Spider-Man that scratches the same itch in the back of our heads and in our subconscious that Anansi the Spider does. It feels like there's a lot there with his inventions and his connecting of people and things and his jokes all the time. Seems similar. Wow. Interesting. It's Spider-Man recreated in a context independent from his original recreation. Clearly has some allure. It was addressed. I, I found out. I thought, you know, I do have a search engine and an internet like everybody else does. So let me see if I could find something about it. And uh, in 2003, in the second volume of Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man does take the role of Anansi the Spider, the god, at oh, one point. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Super cool. Wow. Well, if people wanted to reach out to you, Gordon, to uh, talk to you about uh, Nancy the Spider or something else, uh, where could they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Raven's Good Rules. It's an anagram for my full name, Gordon Lavasser. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to use that to also uh, be linked to two of the games that I've created, Keepers of the Questar. And there's a new um, Space Jam card game that I created for Upper Deck. Oh, cool. And Eddie, if people wanted to uh, reach out to us, ask us why we don't have any board games, uh, how could they find us? <laughs> Email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. All right, I'm just going to edit that one out. We're going to do it again. All right, this is the second, second take. We got this. And now it's time for the close. I'm James B. joined by Eddie and Gordon. And remember, listeners, if you ever invite Doc over over to your house. <laughs> Let me okay, try again. All right. So you have eight. eight your, your word is you Doc, Doc Ock over to your house. <laughs> Take three. I'm James B. Joined by Eddie and Gordon. And remember, listeners, if you ever invite Doc, o- Doc Ock over to your house. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm no, good. here's what happened. Nope. Oh, are you changing me? Yep. Oh, I failed too many times. <laughs> uh oh. Pretty soon James B's going to have a chicken franchise. <laughs> yeah, I can't start a chicken franchise because Eddie can't say his one line. So <laughs> thanks to Eddie, we now have a take four. Unbelievable. Here we go. And it's time for the close. I'm James B, joined by Eddie and Gordon. And remember, listeners, if you ever invite Doc Ock over to your house and see him showering with his glasses on, don't ask questions. Goodbye. 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 Was there anything else in either of these books that we didn't cover? Actually... I'd like to talk about Tony Orlando and Don for a moment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tell me about them.
Gordon, I, I did a little extra research on Tony Orlando and Don. So if you want to do, if you know anything in the basics, Gordon knows a lot about a lot of things. He's like Cliff Clavin. Um, I can fill in all the details that you, that I didn't know until I read them today, unless you want me just to go first. I'd rather be like Norm. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I know that they were uh, a musical duo and uh, I remember hearing them on like various television programs when I was a kid in the 70s. They were like uh, the poor man's Captain and Tennille. Yeah, they were, they were, their show actually filled in and took over the Sonny and Cher slot in the, in the late, in the mid 70s. And this is again where, you know, I'm like three years older than Gordon and Gordon's, I don't know much older than, I don't really know how old Eddie is ever. You know, Gordon's 10 years older than Eddie or something. And he just gets swept away. But uh, so I was like, oh, I want to look up a little information on Tony Orlando and Don. And what I found out was that Tony Orlando was a producer and he, cause he had given up being a recording artist and they told him like, Hey, we want you to sing tracks on this one song. And he's like, I can't, I'm a producer. It's sort of a conflict of interest. So that he created a group called Dawn. Dawn is the name of a group. I thought, <laughs> I thought like Gordon was talking, it's a girl, you know, of course it is. No, yeah. it was a group. And what happened is they recorded it. Uh, with him and then he's like okay I actually need to create a group called Don so he grabbed a bunch of people and said you gr- you're the group called Don and he sang with them for a while and then they had um, they had a decent song they did uh, Knock Three Times on the Ceiling If You Want Me was really a second hit and then yes. eventually they said okay we want Don to be like more of a presence and they're like don't just have these random people that are singing tracks on your thing we need to actually variety show them so he went out and grabbed two women and said the two women are the group Dawn, and then they became like a show, and then they came out with Tie Yellow Ribbon around the old oak tree, which is a song I do that you may have heard. They and, did uh, have another hit, <laughs> if you'll recall. It was the song Candida. That was the that, about a, that was the original. That was the one that started this whole thing. Yes, but who would sing a song dedicated to a tongue fungus? Because <laughs> that's what Candida is. Spider-Man does reference Tony Orlando and Don. And like one of his like, who do you think I who do you think I am or something? He does. Or I'd rather be watching Tony Orlando and Don than doing this. I think he says right. This was a top twenty show. Oh no, it was huge. It was like yeah, these are number one hits and stuff. This is and it was on the radio, which was even more interesting. I mean, like. Even now, I think on let me see on Spotify, uh, "Knock Three Times" has like thirty-one million downloads. Probably going to get one more download after we talk about Tony Orlando and Don for two <laughs> minutes on our podcast. Thank goodness. 